Our scripture passage today comes from John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. Hear God's holy and infallible word. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when they had come from Judea to Galilee. The grass withers and the flower fades. You may be seated. As you are, we are coming to God's word and we need his help. We need his spirit to enliven our hearts, to make clear to us the things that are difficult to understand, to see Jesus in his word. Let us begin by praying. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for an account of all the things that Jesus said and did, recorded for us by your people, by your chosen apostles. We need your spirit to enlighten your word to our hearts. Give us ears to hear, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Do you ever wonder why Jesus came when he came, like the time of history, first century, in an obscure place? You know, we're coming up to Christmas, you know, we're going to reflect upon Bethlehem and all of the time and place in which Jesus came. And he spent 30 years, you know, behind the scenes before he ever started to do anything publicly. We don't really see anything about Jesus' life up until... John the Baptist shows up on the scene, baptizing people as we read about the beginning chapters of this book. Have you ever had the thought it would have been better if Jesus would have come now when there are cameras and video and ways to document the things he did in a different way so that people could see what Jesus did? I know I've often had that thought. If, if, we, if we had this you know, like 100% assurance that if we could see what Jesus did, if people could have just seen Jesus, they would have believed in him, experienced watching him perform miracles. Things would be different. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus had an Instagram account and every day he updated his story with another miracle that we could all watch and share? We put a lot of confidence in this experiential learning, seeing things, 
uh, experiencing things, wanting to see with our own eyes the things Jesus did. But this passage calls us to something a bit different. We must place our trust in the word of Christ. But the truth is, we'd all rather trust in signs and wonders. Now, there are whole movements within the Christian church that seek after signs and wonders. Ours is very far away from that in many ways, and yet it doesn't do us much good to just criticize other Christians. There's something in all of us that would like to see something more tangible. It's part of our shared experience as humans, as 21st century Americans who have all sorts of video and picture and witnesses to things that happen. You can't do anything in our culture without it being captured on somebody's cell phone. And so that's the proof we look to to see if something really happened. This passage, there's really three points I want to make about it. Uh, the first is that Jesus is welcomed because of his signs. The second is that Jesus gives a warning about seeking a sign. And the third is that Jesus simply gives his word. Now, as we get to this passage, there's kind of this transitional phrase as Jesus is moving on from Samaria to finish his journey from Judea to Galilee. If you remember, he stopped at this well when he was thirsty and wearied from his traveling, and he spoke to this woman about who he was, and she believed that he was the Christ. And she went and told people in the town, and he ended up staying there for two days with his disciples. And many people from Samaria believed in him. They believed the word she spoke, and at the end we had that phrase, that little uh, quote from the people there that said, we don't believe just because of what she had told us, but now we've actually even heard for ourselves the words which Jesus spoke, and they believed that he was the Savior of the world. And so after these two days, he departs to go to Galilee. But then we have this uh, parenthetical statement that Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And Jesus is going, in many ways, to his hometown. There's some discussion about what this really is pointing to. Is it pointing to why he left Judea? Is it pointing to him going to Samaria? How do we make sense of this statement? Because the next thing we find out is that when he came to Cana in Galilee, he was welcomed. So if a prophet is not honored in his own hometown, but he shows up in Galilee and is welcomed, how do we put these things together? We're told that as he comes into Galilee, they welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. Because they too had gone to the feast. They had seen Jesus in the temple driving out all of the money changers. Remember that scene where Jesus makes a whip and drives people out and he no, like, no doubt did many other things while he was there. And they had seen what Jesus had done and so they were excited that he was coming to their town. They were excited because of the signs they had seen. They were excited for the magic man to show up. This Jesus who can do signs and wonders. And the people of Galilee are like us. We're excited to see something. We're excited to experience this tangible reality, to see Jesus do something miraculous, 
to have our current circumstance radically changed. They desired to see more signs. Jesus was the one who was doing exciting things. But this brings us to our second point. Jesus gives a warning about seeking a sign. At Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. This is likely somebody who worked for Herod, who was, you know, watching over the people of Israel. And his son was ill. Capernaum is pretty far away. He, he travels up to see Jesus because he heard he was coming, and he went and asked him to come down to heal his son, who was at the point of death. In this man's desperation, he travels over a day's journey to see Jesus and to ask him to come and to heal his son. He knows that Jesus has powers that other people don't, that he's able to do things that other people can't. And Jesus takes this really dire situation, and he uses it to send a very clear but an unexpected warning. My son is dying, and Jesus says to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, it's important for us to see something that doesn't quite come across in our translations. That word you is plural. Almost any time the Bible uses the word you, it's plural. He's not just talking to this man. He's talking to all of the Galileans, all of the people that are standing there wondering what he's going to do in this situation. And he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. You won't just believe me because of the things I say. You must see something miraculous happen. He's telling them that their faith is built on signs and wonders and that that is a weakness. It's a weakness to have your faith in Christ based on signs and wonders. This is what Jesus says to the people, to the man whose son is dying, who's asked him to do something. And the official, in desperation, says to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. I can't imagine the agony in this man's heart and this interchange where you're just hoping Jesus is going to say yes, and now he's changing the subject. You just want your son to live. Jesus says to him, go, go. Your son will live. The man believed the words that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way, we're told in verse 50. This man is told to go without seeing any sign, any miracle. Jesus isn't going to go with him. He must believe the word that Jesus spoke. He must be content to take his word that his son shall live as assurance that it will indeed come about, that it doesn't matter whether or not Jesus is going to come with. He had to believe that it was true. Jesus is not acting like other magic men of the time where they must go and be present for something to happen. Jesus is not trying to set up for himself this show for people to watch. And Jesus is true to the word he spoke. We're told in verses 51 through the end of our section that he, this official, as he was going down, the servants met him and told him that the son was recovering. 
And to get further clarification, he says, well, when did he begin to get better? And it was yesterday at the seventh hour. And he knew that it was the time when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. This was the second sign of Jesus that he had done in Judea when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This miraculous sign is certainly one in which we ought to see something magnificent in who Christ is. Up to this point in John's gospel, he's not really done anything like this. He turned water into wine. Significant, miraculous. He drove out the people in the temple. He spoke to Nicodemus. He spoke to the woman at the well. But here, he is saving this man's son from certain death. And if you remember the beginning of John's gospel, I told you that it is kind of an outline for everything that John wants to tell us about Jesus. He is the light. The light was the life of men. Jesus is the source of life, and here he is able to even overcome death, imminent death, to bring life to those who need it. He doesn't make his ministry about doing these signs in this big, you know, public way. But he does continue to do them along the way. It's a confirmation of his word. He gives this man his word, and the sign follows as a confirmation. But these signs, all that he's going to do is not the ultimate thing. Not the ultimate reason why he's here, and it's not ultimate about his reality. Think about this scene in contrast with our scene from earlier in this chapter when Jesus is in Samaria. He speaks to this woman at a well. He performs no signs. He is weak, tired. He's thirsty. He's asking her for things. He merely has a conversation with this woman. But his word is what has the life-giving effect. And then in response to her understanding his word, she goes and speaks words to the people in Samaria. And they believe because of her testimony. And then many from Samaria come because of her word to hear for themselves from Jesus and they become convinced, not just because of her testimony, but because of what Jesus said to them, and they heard for themselves. And they believed that he was the Savior of the world. The Samaritans didn't need a sign to believe in Jesus. The woman at the well didn't need a sign to believe that Jesus was the Christ. And Jesus' indictment here against his people, those who would not receive him, is that they need a sign to believe, while the Samaritans, they just need to hear my words. This idea of a sign cuts two ways. One, it's a sign of who Christ is and the power that he has, and it's also a sign against the people who do not believe. If, if Jesus comes and does signs in your town and you do not believe, it will be a sign against you and your judgment. And Jesus is warning that we wouldn't have our trust in these signs, but that we would trust in his word. 
John chapter 1 begins with describing Jesus in this way. In the beginning was the Word. He was the Word that was with God and was God. He came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. They didn't receive Jesus when he showed up. They received his signs. They wanted more of his miracles. But to those who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Why do you think it's so important for us to want to see a sign? What is that in our hearts that want to have a video of Jesus doing these things? There's an aspect of this idea of signs and wonders that smacks of a prosperity gospel in our world. We want Jesus to right the wrongs in our lives immediately. We want Jesus to take away our illnesses. We want Jesus to heal our children. We want Jesus to make all bad things good. And indeed, he has promised to do that ultimately at the end of the age, but he has not promised us a life of miraculous deliverance from all of our trials and tribulations. In fact, he tells us the opposite. That by following him, we will suffer as he suffered. It's easier for us to place our confidence in a sign. But Jesus tells us that's a weak foundation. We must place our confidence in his word and in his promises. Our faith is in the promise of God and the words that he has spoken to us. Signs will fail you. But God's word will always remain true. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The greatest sign that Jesus will do ever in his life is the sign of dying on the cross for us. It's the sign of the, the price of his kingdom. It's a sign that we look to to be remembered. We do have all of the factual historical evidence that a man named Jesus lived in the first century and died and was crucified on a cross by the Romans. But it's a sign for us to remember that the one who makes the covenant in his word has written it down, has also guaranteed that his word will have its effect. The guarantee is in the shed blood of his son because of our failure to keep the covenant. It's a sign that can cut both ways. It's a sign we can look to and, and have assurance that his word is true. And it's a sign that we can look to and see the judgment of God on mankind. It's the one we must look to for our assurance, to have our confidence, to know that the words Jesus spoke, he truly meant, and that he would fulfill them. Jesus is calling us to have our confidence in his word, to, to look at it, to have trusting faith in it. Think about a sign in your own life. What is the thing that's most encouraging to you? To meet somebody whose life is going so great and, you know, hashtag blessed. 
Or isn't it so much more encouraging to meet those people who have the most adversity in their life, who have been diagnosed with the worst illnesses, and yet you see their faith continue to grow in strength? It's not the deliverance of the evil in our life that gives us assurance, but it's the trusting in God's word despite the brokenness we experience. Jesus' words remain true regardless of our circumstances, regardless if he shows up to our town to heal our children, and he is capable of doing any sign and wonder he wants. But may we place our trust in the right place. May we seek to understand more and more the foundation of the word which he has given to us. He identifies himself with it as his very name. The words of Christ written down for us, as John tells us at the end of his gospel, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing in him have life in his name. May God give us the grace to trust in the right things, to believe his words. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're able to do anything above and beyond what's possible in this world. And yet you give us such a simple path to know you, the words you've spoken the promises you've made. Help us to treasure those in our hearts. Help those to be the thing that sustains us day in and day out. In good and in bad times, may we place our confidence in you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.